Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you all here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping together with us. Um, If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you this morning as well. Well, as you heard from Rob, today we're closing out our series that we've been in uh, from the beginning of this month. And my hope is this, that uh, from the beginning of this series to now, that, that we've all experienced some change for the better in our lives. That each of us can say, you know, uh, while it may not be dramatic, God's been changing me. He's been changing my heart. I'm a bit more patient, or at least I'm more aware that I need to be more patient. Um, God's been helping me in the area of being kinder to those around me. God's uh, prompting me to be more forgiving, like he has been so forgiving of my shortcomings. And so I hope that this series has prompted us to, to look in and to see the importance of growth and maturity in our lives. And today we're going to wrap up this series. And before we do so, if you would pause with me, and I want to pray and ask that that God would change us through his word. Lord, as we gather together in person and online, Father, we thank you, God, that no matter where we are, that you call us into your presence. And today I pray, God, that we would be attentive to your word, that we would be sensitive to your spirit, that as we've gathered together to look into your word, that we'd be ready to be changed by your word in a way that would help us to look more like Jesus. And that's our desire. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, today as we close out our series, uh, the title of this morning's message is The Fruit of bearing life. The fruit bearing life. Last Sunday, Pastor Luke, he started off his message with a story about a friend who had a hard time keeping a plant alive. And uh, that's like my life too. It's like I can't seem to keep plants alive. Uh, Are you familiar with the term green thumb? Right? If you have a green thumb, that means that you're adept at keeping plants alive and allowing them to thrive. That means you're a good gardener, a good landscaper. Who likes to garden here? Can I see your hands? Good, good. I know. I, I, I know uh, many of you like to garden. If you're joining us online, put a thumbs up, like a, put a green thumbs up, or, or just say, yes, I like to garden. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed uh, the fruits of many of your labor over the years. Uh, you know, on any given Sunday, Someone will show up with a bag of tomatoes for me or a bag of tangerines. Uh, this morning, the timing could not be more perfect. After our 9 o'clock service, uh, I was given a bag of avocados. I was given a bag of kumquats. So right there, you want some? Come up to me afterward. Uh, and so, so I've enjoyed the fruits of all your labor over the years. And so I know that gardening is a part of... Uh, your lives, a special part of many of your lives. If you think about gardening, gardening is therapeutic, isn't it? And it's spiritually refreshing. And it makes sense if you think about it, because after all, everything started in a garden. So it's no wonder 
that gardening is such a big part of our lives today. It's very biblical. Uh, I don't have a green thumb, but, but I love looking at nice gardens. Okay. And I love landscapes. I just have this thing with landscapes and gardens. I love going to places like the Huntington Library. That place is just awesome. Okay. I love Descanso Gardens, okay. the L.A. Arboretum. These places, they, they just, they nourish the soul. There's something very spiritual about gardens. This series that we've been engaged in since the beginning of this year has been all about the idea that growth and maturity is part of the very essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, when God declared us righteous at the point of salvation, in other words, when he justified us, did you know that that was not the culmination of things? That was actually just the beginning of things. And so at that point, God's desire was for his children to grow and to mature. So just as we expect a newborn baby to grow and mature throughout the course of the childhood stages and then into adulthood, God desires each one of his children to grow spiritually. And today's message is all about how staying connected to the vine is critical for growth. Again, we're talking about gardening today. So it's all about staying connected to the vine. And for the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, that vine is Jesus himself. So with that in mind, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 15. John 15. And I'll begin by reading verse 5. John chapter 15. And in verse 5, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in a minute, I'm going to read some verses surrounding this one verse in order to give us some context. Before I do so, I just want to say that John chapter 15 has often been a source of confusion for a number of Bible students over the years. And that's why we said that it is so important that we understand the context. Okay, Before we even begin to apply any passage from the Bible into our lives, we must know what it meant in the original context. Beyond that, what we don't want to do is this. We don't want to go into the Bible with a theological position and then try to force a passage to say something to align with our theological position. If I ever go into the Word of God with a certain understanding, a preconceived idea, and then the Word of God doesn't match up with that, I ought to change my understanding and not try to force God's Word to fit my understanding. And so oftentimes what happens is we go to certain passages and we get confused because we go in with assumptions and presuppositions. So with that in mind, go back now to verses 1 and 2. John 15, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Who here has been to Israel? Can I see your hand? Wow, a number of you. Now, I've never been to Israel. I hope to one day. But for those of you who have gone to Israel, you know this, that the geographical setting of Israel is very similar to that of California. The geographical setting and the climate is very similar to ours in California, which is why it's no wonder that both geographical regions are known for vineyards. California, Napa Valley, California, the Central Valley. You know, our kids go to schools right there in the Central Valley up to almost the Bay Area. So every time we drive by their schools up in UC Santa Cruz or Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, we drive through so many vineyards. Cultivating grapes is both an art and a science. Did you know that it takes so much art and science and precision to grow sweet grapes? Think about this. Nobody likes sour grapes. Nobody. It's like the worst thing in the world. Right? You go to the market, you, you pick out your grapes, you pray that they're going to be sweet. You take them home, nobody likes those really sour grapes. Whenever you have a grape, you want to say, mmm, tastes like candy. That's what you want to say. Have you ever shopped for specialty fruit at places like Harry and David? When you shop for specialty fruit, you'll soon realize how expensive good fruit can be. This past December, I went into the local market just up the street, a market called H Mart. When you walk into H Mart, the first section you come across is the produce section. And during the holidays, what you see are beautiful boxes of fruit boxed fruit because boxed fruit is a popular gift during the holiday season and so in december when i walked in it was just piles of fruit now as i was walking in and i looked at all these boxes i had to do a double take i was like what because i saw this box of grapes and it was like the most pristine bunch of grapes i've ever seen in my life there was not a single blemish in these grapes. But what caught my attention was the price, okay? <laughs> so I had to take a picture. So, so look at these grapes and the price. That is not a misprint. I say, I'll keep this picture up here for a minute. So one box is three relatively small containers of grapes. I counted the grapes. <laughs> so each bunch, one container, was 24 grapes. Times three is 72 grapes. Per box, that comes out to $1.25 per grape. $89.99 for the box. I so wanted to taste one. I was like, please, isn't there like a, a worker with free samples 
That would have been incredible. Now, if you think that's expensive, and it is, in 2019, at an auction in Japan, the winning bid for a bunch of red ruby Roman grapes, the most prized grape in the entire world, ruby Roman grapes, for one bunch, that's 24 grapes, the winning bid for 24 grapes in Japan in 2019 was $11,000. If you do the math, that's $458 per grape. You better invite some good friends over. <laughs> Think about that. People pay a handsome amount for specialty fruit today. You know the wine industry and the grape industry is amongst the most competitive industries in the entire world. Now think for a moment that back in Jesus' day, not only was the concept of vineyards, vineyards and grapes, well-known, at that time in Israel, vineyards and grape growing was absolutely essential to the economy and the livelihood of Israel. So, when Jesus said, I am the true vine, his audience knew exactly what he was getting at. In that time, Herod's temple was adorned with a golden vine. And Jesus said, I am the true vine. You see, the backdrop is this. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was called out by God to be a vine. In Psalm 80, verse 8, this is what it says. You, meaning God, transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. God delivered the nation of Israel from captivity, but Israel failed to produce fruit because of its sin. That's the backdrop of John chapter 15. And so Jesus uses imagery to picture his relationship with his disciples. He said, I am the true vine, you are the branches. And so the only way that you and I as Christ followers will ever produce fruit in our lives, in our lives is if we stay connected to the vine. The only way that we will produce fruit is if we stay connected with him. And how do we do that? Well, it begins by learning about him. We open up scripture, we read the gospels, we look at his life, and then we follow the pattern that he set for us. And also, we do that by staying connected with like-minded people. Last Sunday, Pastor Luke talked about the importance of growing together. That was the title of his sermon last Sunday. Can I say this? If you are not in a group of like-minded people right now at our church, 
I believe you might be missing out. And by like-minded people, what I don't mean is this. I don't mean that you all have the same interests, you all have the same hobbies, you all vote the same. That's not what I mean by like-minded. By like-minded, I mean you all desire to grow in Christ. In that regard, you might be the most different from each other that any group might be. Such a diverse group, and yet if you have that one desire to grow in Christ, you are in a like-minded group. Staying connected with Jesus also involves staying connected with each other. Look again at verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, we said a few minutes ago that oftentimes Bible students, they get confused with this passage in this chapter. In, in theology, there's a term called eternal security. And so sometimes Bible students, they go to John chapter 15, they think, oh no, can we lose our salvation? What does this mean? That he's going to throw away every branch that doesn't bear fruit. As we look at John chapter 15, it's important to know the context. We can look at other passages that speak about eternal security. This passage is focusing on fruit bearing and the importance of staying connected with the vine. There are other passages that talk about our eternal security. If you're taking notes and you want to jot these passages down, you can look them up later on. But you can look to John chapter 6, verses 35 to 40. John 6, 45 to, 35 to 40. Then you can also get to John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. That's John 10, verses 27 to 29. You can look those up later to talk about eternal security and how we are secure in Christ. This passage in John chapter 15 is focusing on the importance of staying connected with the vine in order to bear fruit. Look at verses 3 and 4. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, as branches, and by the way, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you are a branch. So as branches, we ought to make every effort to remain or to abide in Christ. Not because failure to do so will result in losing our salvation. That's not the issue, remember. We are eternally secure in Christ. That's not the issue at hand. It's about abiding in Christ in order to bear fruit. Now, earlier on in verse 2, Jesus talked about pruning. Okay, gardeners, you can attest to this, right? Pruning is important when you garden. And here's what happens. The, the gardener prunes in, in two different ways. First of all, the gardener prunes or trims away the dead branches. Because did you know that the dead branches, not only are they unproductive, they're actually harmful because they breed disease. 
So the gardener will cut away the dead branches. Not just because they're taking up space, but because they're actually very harmful. But the gardener also prunes away living tissue. The gardener will cut away even the branches that are still living, but that are overgrown. Because what happens is the overgrown branches can overtake the entire plant. Pruning is critical to growing sweet grapes. That's why people train for years and years to become master pruners. And it's no mistake then that Jesus calls God the master pruner. Of course, God doesn't need practice. He's perfect. He's always known exactly what he's doing. And did you know that as followers of Jesus Christ, each one of us goes through the pruning process. None of us can escape it. Every one of us must go through the pruning process in our lives. And oftentimes more than once, several times. Now, here's what happens. From our perspective as branches, pruning is no fun. One author says this. If the branches could speak, they would confess that the pruning process hurts. If the branches could speak, they would confess that the pruning process hurts. Have you ever gotten a paper cut? We all have. It's amazing how a tiny paper cut can hurt so much. You wash the dishes, ouch. You take a shower, it hurts. You try to tie your shoelaces, I can't. (laughs) The pruning process that we often go through during the course of our spiritual growth, it can be painful. Again, the author says this, if the branches could speak, they would confess that the pruning process hurts, but they would also rejoice that they will be able to produce more and better fruit. They will rejoice because they will be able to produce more and better fruit. Again, pruning is not fun. And please don't think for a moment that God takes pleasure in pruning his children. You know, I think parents, we can relate to this, right? From our kids' perspective, they might think, why is my mom or dad so hard on me? And then from our perspective, we're thinking, I wish my child knew that I only want the best for him or her. What parent does not want the absolute best? I think I can speak for every parent here. We want even better for our kids than what we had. We want even better for our kids than we've ever experienced. God wants the absolute best for his children. And in order for us to experience the best, that actually requires pruning. None of us is exempt from pruning in our lives. And what that means is this. 
If there's an area of your life that has dead branches, those areas must be eliminated. Because not only is it unproductive, it's harmful. Could you do this for me? Do this for me. Think of an area of your life that, that is a, a struggle for you. Maybe a vice, a certain practice, a certain habit, maybe a certain association, a certain relationship. Something that is not only unproductive, but is actually harmful for you spiritually. The pruning process means to trim that away, to eliminate that. We all have our own struggles. But if if we know that there's a part in our lives that's causing spiritual disease, it's time to remove that dead wood. But pruning doesn't stop there. Maybe there's some parts of our lives that are not harmful, but maybe they are actually preventing us from bearing even more fruit. We're called to trim away even some of the good things in our lives to allow for the best things to grow. For example, here's how we look at it. Think of a, a bush. Think of all the leaves on that bush representing all the activities of our lives. Okay, so you have a full bush with all these leaves, and these leaves correspond to every activity in our life. If you take a step back and you look at this bush, from afar it could actually look healthy. But as you get closer, you might notice there's a lot of overgrown areas that are preventing the growth of other areas. And what happens is all the busyness of the leaves start to squeeze out the important things in our lives. If we find that we are so busy that ministry is squeezed out of our lives, then maybe we're too busy. Last week, Pastor Luke talked about how the tendency for some is to think ministry is to be done by the professionals. Leave it to the leaders. Leave it to the professionals. That's a spectator. That's a spectator mentality. Pastor Luke reminded us that the call of pastors and leaders is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In that regard, we are all ministers. So, we can look at it this way. At some point, we were all spectators, and that's okay. Okay, at some point, think back to your first time visiting our church. That might have been 40 years ago, or it might have been 40 days ago. Think back to the first time you visited E-Free Church in Diamond Bar. Nobody expects a first-time visitor to stand in the foyer during the service and hold the door open for everybody else. Welcome to E-Free Church. Oh, this is my first week here. No one expects that. No one expects a first-time visitor to pick up an instrument and come up on stage and join the band. Hey, Eddie, what key? Nobody expects that. 
So we were all spectators at some time. But God doesn't want us to stay spectators. At some point, we must move out from the stadium into the dugout, put on the uniform, and then go out onto the field. And as I look out here, many of you are doing just that. I look out here, I see so many faithful servants who serve so tirelessly. But maybe, maybe is it possible, those gathered here joining us online, is it possible that, that God is nudging you and saying, you know what, you've been a spectator long enough. It's time to put that uniform on. But not only put that uniform on, you see, because you can actually put the uniform on and not really play. So some within churches, they have the uniform on and they sit on the bench every weekend. And they go to the game, they sit on the bench, and they go back and take the uniform off. We don't want to stay there either. We want to actually get onto the field and play the game. So maybe God's prompting some of you in this series to see growth and maturity by not only wearing the uniform, but by playing the game, participating. And again, so many of you are doing just that. God has filled our church with faithful ministers. Last fall, I received an email from one of our members. And this person just emailed me and just wanted to inform me. You see, because there was this new family at our church at that time who had only been at our church for just a matter of a few months. But then tragedy struck this family. There was a death in the family. And so this member of our church emailed me just to let me know that this new family was going through this difficulty. And I appreciated that. Now, eventually I was able to reach out to that family and talk with that family. And it was only then that I discovered by talking with a family that the family let me know, oh, someone came over to our house and dropped off a meal and flowers. Someone who did not really even know them, I think, at all. It was only because I talked to the family that I learned that this took place. And that was an example of the church being the church. And that I've seen time and time again. I hear story after story of people ministering to one another here at our church. That's the church being the church. It's not, oh, hey, uh, pastor, leader, so-and-so needs this, go! No, it's, oh, I'm just letting you know that so-and-so is in need, but it's okay. I got this. I got it. That's the church being the church. Every one of us has the opportunity to be the church. In order for us to fully experience community the way Christ intended, we need to take our place in the body of Christ. 
And again, for some, that means more than just weekly church attendance. That's great. That's wonderful. To move from a spectator to wearing the uniform, but don't just wear the uniform and sit on the bench. For some of you in that stage of church right now, maybe God's tugging at your heart. And maybe he's saying, you know what? It's time for me not only just to get fed, but to actively minister to others. Where can I serve in this local body? I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. I want to tie in Mark 8 to John chapter 15. And in Mark 8, it says this, in verse 34, Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, this was an unorthodox sales pitch. There was no fine print in here. Jesus laid it out clearly. If you want to follow me, it's not going to be easy. And back then, his audience knew that following him meant taking up the cross. And they knew exactly what the cross stood for. Today, we wear a cross as jewelry. It's nice. It's shiny. Back then, it was a source of shame and embarrassment and humiliation. Jesus wanted to make sure that his followers knew what they were getting themselves into. So, if salvation is a total commitment, a total life involvement, and if ministry is a function of every believer, then guess what? Ministry means committing our entire lives to Jesus. It doesn't just happen regular by regular attendance on a Sunday morning. It involves not only church, but work, community, our lifestyles, and on and on. You know what I love about the way Jesus taught? He taught a lot in paradoxes. You know what a paradox is? A paradox is like a seeming contradiction, like a jumbo shrimp. Okay, that's like a seeming contradiction. So a paradox is something that on the surface seems like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So Jesus taught a lot in paradoxes. So, for example, Peter, at one point, he was urging Jesus to save his life. And that's why in Mark 8, verse 34, Jesus responded. He said, here's how life is to be gained. It was a paradox by denying ourselves. If you want life, then lose it for me. It was a paradox. Later on, Peter was feeling insecure. Do you know what Peter's profession was? What was he? He was a fisherman. He was feeling insecure because he had left everything to follow Jesus. And a fisherman's livelihood was found in nets. So Peter left his entire collection of nets, which was very expensive, to follow Jesus. And at some point, Peter was feeling insecure. What was I doing? What was I thinking? I left everything, all my savings, 
So he was feeling a bit insecure. And so Jesus, in a moment of Peter's insecurity, reminded him that, Peter, you're going to receive a hundred times what you left behind. Still later, the disciples, they were, they were bickering with each other, thinking, well, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. They were arguing who was the greatest. So Jesus, he teaches them a lesson. It says, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. So, I want you to look up here. Life, security, greatness. Life, security, greatness. These were the three things the disciples wanted. Can you say that with me? Life, security, greatness. One more time. Life, security, greatness. This is what the disciples wanted. And the astonishing thing is this. In each of those three cases, Jesus did not rebuke them for wanting those three things. That's astonishing. He didn't say, Peter, you should not care about your life. He didn't say, Christian, you don't need security. He didn't even say, you shouldn't even want to be great. He didn't rebuke them for wanting those things. Instead, here's what he did. He appealed to their desire for those things, but he redirected their energies. So he said this, Peter, if you really want to save your life, lose it for me. Paradox number one. If you want true security, then leave behind everything that represents security and follow me. Paradox number two. If you want lasting greatness, become a servant. That's paradox number three. One author had these profound words to say. Ministry is the paradoxical path to the satisfaction of our deepest longings. Think about that. Ministry is the paradoxical path to the satisfaction of our deepest longings. Life, security, and greatness can be found when we minister. So, here's my question. Why are some people still hesitant to move from being a spectator to participating on the field? Some say this. Some say, I don't have the time. Think about that statement. I don't have the time. Some might say, ask me later. Ask me when my kids grow up. Ask me when I'm in this stage of life. Right now, I'm too busy. I just don't have the time. Others will say this. Even if I had the time, I'm just too tired. I'm exhausted. By the end of the day, I'm just tired. Still others will say this. Even if I had the time or energy, if people really knew how messed up my life is, 
they would think that I'm being hypocritical. So I don't want to serve. I have to deal with my own sins before I can minister to others. I'm sure one of us, or all of us, have been at any of those stages before. I don't have enough time. I don't have the energy. I'm just messed up. So I'm just going to come and be fed and just take my seat. So what's the answer to these obstacles? We've got to go back to the grapes. The key is this. A pruned life is a fruit-bearing life. If you are too busy and there are too many things, even good things in your life that are preventing you from ministering, maybe it's time to take a long, hard look. We all have our own. We have our own schedules. We, all, we know maybe where we're too busy in certain areas. Maybe we got to prune back some things to allow us more time to minister. Because if ministry is getting squeezed out, then maybe life is just too busy. And then if there are some of us here who say, you know what, my life is so messed up right now, I'm in no condition to minister. Did you know that ministry is often exactly what we need to get beyond our own problems. Sometimes when we focus so much on our own problems, it paralyzes us. God wants us to get beyond those by focusing on others and seeing the needs of others. And by the way, did you know this? This has happened in my own life. Oftentimes, our own personal healing comes as we look to the needs of others. A pruned life is a fruit-bearing life. Church, I believe our fellowship here at Efree Diamond Bar is incredibly wonderful. God has blessed our church with so many great ministers. Maybe it's possible that God's speaking to some of you today who have been spectators, and that's great because we've all been there. At some time, we want to move onto the field. Maybe there are some who are regulars here on Sunday mornings, and you've got your hour's worth of church. Maybe God's prompting some of you, and he's saying, look, it's time for you not only to have the uniform on, but to get out on the field and to participate. And for those of you who are on the field and you're just getting tired because you're shorthanded, I'm confident. I believe that God is raising up people just as we speak right now to come alongside. And my hope is this. Even as Linda was up here a few minutes ago asking for volunteers for Wednesday nights, I hope that she'll get some great news this week and that she'll have more than enough volunteers. Maybe some of you here, maybe you have a, I don't know, a daughter, a son, a niece, a nephew. Hey, we need some help on a Wednesday night here. Come on by. A pruned life is a fruit-bearing life. My prayer is this, that this week as you go forward, that you might ask God, God, where is it that you want me to 
bear fruit in your church. And I trust that he will direct you to the right place. Let's go forth and bear fruit. So with that, we bring our series to a close. Would you bow with me? Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the reminder through your word that you call us, Lord, to bear fruit. That's part of the very essence of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And I pray that each of us would examine our lives and consider the dead wood that is not only unproductive, but that is harming us spiritually. Cause us, Lord, to remove that dead wood. And then help us to also look to even the, the living tissue that's kind of overtaking our time so that we're not able to minister. Help us, Lord, to examine our lives and to make the changes necessary so we can be part of a church fully functioning as ministers in the body of Christ. So thank you, God, for the reminder today and through the series. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory you deserve. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.